0: إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من have الله فلا مضل له ومن and فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له continuing with bulugh al-maram we now on the hadith of jabir ibn samura radiyallahu anhu ma qala sallaytu ma'a al-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-eidayn ghayra marratin wa la marratayn bighayri adhan iqama rawahu muslim wa nahwahu fi al-muttafaq an ibn abbas radiyallahu anhu wa ghayruhu wa ghayruhu umm hadith of jabir ibn Samurah. R.A. says that I prayed with the Prophet the two Eid prayers on more than one or two occasions, on several occasions, without an adhan and without an iqamah. So he says, Jabir ibn Samurah, that I prayed with the Prophet the two Eid prayers on more than one or two occasions, on several occasions. Without an adhan and without an iqama, Meaning that they never used to do the adhan or the iqama for the Eid prayers. And that hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Similarly, in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim is another hadith narrated by Ibn Abbas with the same meaning. That they used to pray the Eid prayer without making an adhan and without making an iqama. So with regards to the explanation of these two ahadith. Uh, الشيخ صالح الفوزان حفظه الله تعالى says هذا الحديث فيه مشروعية صلاة العيدين in this hadith is the legislation for the two Eid prayers that's what the topic of the hadith is about it's referring to the two Eid prayers so the hadith indicates the legislation of praying the two Eid prayers because Jabir ibn Samurah says that I prayed with the Prophet Sallallahu The two Eid prayers So this indicates the obligation or the legislation Of the two Eid prayers They are of course Eid al-Fitr Which is after the end of the month of Ramadan And Eid al-Adha Which is on the 10th day of the hijjah The day after Arafah The day after the day of Arafah So they are the two Eids of Islam They are the two Eids of Islam. And what does the word Eid mean? Why do we call Eid, Eid? The scholars, they say that Eid, this word in the Arabic language, it refers to something which is repetitive, reoccurring. Something which is reoccurring, repetitive, on a schedule and it returns again and again, then that is referred to as something which is an Eid. And so that's why Eid is known as Eid, because Eid is something that is repetitive, it is something that reoccurs, it repeats itself. Eid al-Fitr, every year after Ramadan finishes. Eid al-Adha, every year on the 10th day of the hijjah after the day of Arafah. So these are two days that repeat themselves and they reoccur, they are repetitive, every year without fail on those occasions. That's why they are known as an Eid, because in the Arabic language it refers to something that is repetitive. Similarly, you have this meaning in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, when he said, لا تتخذ قبري عيدا Don't take my grave as an Eid. There's one hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, Do not take my grave as an Eid. What does that hadith mean? Don't take my grave as an Eid. The meaning of it is, like we've just explained, Eid is something that is repetitive and scheduled. So the Prophet ﷺ was warning against having his grave as a place of repetitive and reoccurring and scheduled visits, as the people they do. They say every day after Jum'ah, you have to go and give salam. Every day after Fajr on a Thursday, you have to go and give salam. They make this timetable, this schedule, where they repetitively and repeatedly go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. And maybe they stand there for extended periods of time, and then they end up making dua, and they end up even some of them falling into uh, various types of acts that are completely haram and impermissible. But the hadith here, the Prophet ﷺ said, don't take my grave as an Eid. Don't take it as a place where you are scheduled, timetabled, repetitive, reoccurring visits occur. And that wasn't the methodology of the Salaf. The Salaf they used to go, and they used to give the Salam. But not on this timetable or schedule as some people have nowadays. Every day on a Thursday, every day on a Tuesday, every day on a Monday evening. They have schedules, they have timetables, you have to go and give Salam. That isn't from the Sunnah. So that meaning is found in that Hadith. Don't take my grave as an Eid, i.e. don't take it as something that you visit repetitively and reoccurringly and scheduled and on a timetable. So that is the meaning of the word Eid. First one is Eid al-Fitr. Fitr means to break the fast. Fitr, the word in the Arabic language derived from breaking the fast, breaking the uh, lack of food. So you eat Eid al-Fitr, the Eid of breaking the fast. And Eid al-Adha, Adha in the Arabic language comes from the root uh, words or the family tree of words indicating slaughtering. And so that is the Eid of slaughtering, Eid al-Adha. So these are the two celebrations, the two Eids, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed upon the believers, and there is no other Eid besides them. So any individual who uh, innovates a third Eid into Islam, then that will be considered an innovation. Other than of course what has been mentioned in some narrations about Jumu'ah being the Eid of the week. But that is not what we are referring to here. Here we have the two Eids, the days of celebration... Then, if any individual was to make a third day of celebration as such, a third day like as they do the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ as a day of celebration, just like Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha. So they do similar things, they get together and they make food. They are behaving on those days as if it is an Eid. And they take other days, they have other events that they take as days of Eid and celebration and food and gathering. Then any individual who innovates a third Eid outside of these two Eids, then that will be considered a Bid'a. As Fauzan Fawzal, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says, فَمَنْ Eidan عِيدًا zaidan ala عَلَى هَذَيْنَ الْعِيدَيْنِ فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ qad أَحْدَثَ bid'ah." Whoever innovates a third Eid on top of these two Eids, then indeed it will be the case that he has innovated or brought about some new innovation. al الْمَوْلِ Nabawi just like the celebration of the birthday of the Prophet ﷺ, or other than that from the days of Eid, that Allah has not declared as days of Eid, or days of celebration. So these are the only two Eids, and both of them come after pillars of Islam. The five pillars of Islam, the testification of La Ilaha Illallah, and then after that, after the two testifications, The prayer, the zakat, the fasting, and the hajj. The Eid al-Fitr comes after the pillar of fasting. Eid al-Adha comes after the pillar, or within you could say the pillar of hajj. So these two are both uh, uh, linked and associated to the uh, two pillars of Islam, fasting and hajj. And that's when the two Eids, they occur. So what's the purpose of this hadith then? Why is it linked to the chapter of the Adhan? Because the hadith indicates that a person who prays non obligatory prayers, a person who prays non fard prayers, optional prayers, sunnah prayers, rawatib prayers, nawafil prayers, prayers like for example, al istisqa for the rain prayer, or the janazah prayer or any other type of nafila prayer supererogatory prayer then the hadith seems to indicate in its generality that there is no adhan for those types of prayers if a person is going to pray the rain prayer then there's no adhan for that person's going to pray the janazah there's no adhan which is made before it a person's going to pray eid there's no adhan that is made before it this hadith seems to indicate that for those types of prayers it is not from the sunnah to make an adhan for them. The shaykh says, لَأَنَّ ذَلِكَ لَمْ يَثْبُتَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ وَسَلَّمَ" Because that is something which is not established from the Prophet ﷺ, i.e. that he would make adhan for these other types of prayers that are not fard. He wouldn't do that ﷺ. What is established is that the Prophet ﷺ would make the adhan for the obligatory prayers the obligatory prayers, the fard prayers, the five uh, in the day, then they are the ones that it has been mentioned, the adhan would be made for. As for these other prayers, the rain prayer, for example, or the janazah, or the eid prayer, then these types of prayers, there is no mention, nothing established or authenticated, that the Prophet ﷺ used to make adhan for those prayers prior to praying them. There is one small thing which is mentioned, Regarding the eclipse prayer, that there would be a type of announcement that would be made for the eclipse prayer The prayer that is pray, prayed for the eclipse Then it's mentioned, there is some evidences indicating that for the eclipse prayer There would be some type of announcement that would be made For example, you say, As-salatu That the prayer is congregating You make an announcement, that prayer is congregating i.e. For the eclipse prayer and that is something specific to the eclipse prayer, to make this announcement that the prayer is now congregating for that purpose. As for the Eid, the Janaza, the rain prayer, other types of supererogatory prayers, then it's not established that there is the Adhan or any type of announcement that is made for them. Uh, it's mentioned here then, bi-salati Adhan wala it's uh, mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ used to go out for the Eid prayers and the rain prayer, and he would not do any Adhan or iqama. rather he would begin into the prayers right away. So that is what this hadith seems to indicate. Uh, and the hadith also mentions, Jabir ibn Samura says, that this was on multiple occasions, i.e. this was the norm, that this was the norm. It wasn't just an exception that one time the adhan and iqama wasn't done. But this was the norm. This was the usual act that you pray these superagatory prayers without any adhan and without any iqamah. Because it mentioned in the hadith, he says, I prayed the Eid prayer not once, not twice, on several occasions. And there was no adhan and there was no iqama." So that's regarding the superrogatory prayers other than the eclipse prayer where there can be some announcement for it. The next hadith after that, عَنَ بِقَتَادَةَ فِي الحديث الطَّوِيلِ فِي نَوْمِهِمْ عَنِ الصَّلَاهِ ثُمَّ أَذَّنَ بِلَالٌ فَصَلَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّهِ وسلم كَمَا كَانَ يَصْنَعُ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ رواه مسلم. In this hadith now, narrated in Sahih Muslim, uh, the hadith of Abu Qatada, and it's a very long hadith. But here, the author, Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, Rahimahullah الله تعالى, only brings the section of the hadith that is relevant to this chapter. Otherwise, it's a lengthy hadith. The hadith about how the Prophet ﷺ, he went out to the Battle of Khaybar, and they were traveling during the night, and then they went to sleep late, and Bilal رضي uh, Anhu was told to wake them up, but then he fell asleep also, and then in the morning they all ended up waking up late for the Fajr prayer. That narration, and the Sheikh is going to explain that anyway. He says, لما رجع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم When the Prophet صلى returned from the battle of خيبر وكانوا يسيرون أول And they were walking, they were traveling in the early parts of the night. They were traveling in the night as they were returning. So because they were still traveling during the night, they were still making tracks during the night. Then towards the end of the night, they decided to rest and take some sleep. Towards the end of the night. Otherwise, the remainder of the night, the early part of the night, they'd been walking and walking and walking. Then at the end of the night, when there was a, a short time left, they decided to take some rest and to sleep. And Bilal, عنه, he was given the, uh, the responsibility to wake them up for the fajr prayer. However... Uh, النوم لكن النوم أخذ بلال رضي الله عنه but sleep overcame Bilal رضي الله عنه also فنام معهم so he ended up falling asleep with the rest of them so nothing woke them up Bilal رضي الله عنه didn't wake anybody up he fell asleep too the only thing that did wake them up in the end was the sun beating down on them this was for the fajr they had been asleep and the sun rose, and then when the heat of the sun started coming down on them, that's what woke them up. The heat came upon them, and they felt the heat of the day now, the sun, and that woke them up. النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم أصحابة. So the Prophet woke up, and he woke up his companions who were with him. وَقَدِ اِرْتَفَعَتِ And the sun had already gone up, the sun had risen, وَلَمْ يَكُونُوا الْفَجْرِ بَعْدِ And they hadn't prayed Fajr yet. Because remember, they'd been traveling all night, they went to sleep late at night, and Bilal رضي anhu sleep overcame him too, and he ended up falling asleep, so they all fell asleep, and then they didn't wake up, until the sun had risen, and the heat came down on them. Then they awoke because of that heat. And the Prophet woke up, and he woke up his companions, and they hadn't prayed Fajr. فَأَمَرَهُمْ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَن يَنْتَقِلُوا عَنْ هَذَا الْوَادِي أَلَّذِي نَامُوا فِيهِ إِلَى مَكَانٍ آخر ثُمَّ أَمَرَ بِلَالٌ فأذن. So then the Prophet وسلم, he commanded them to move from that place from that valley they were in the valley where they had fallen asleep in he told them to move from that place they proceeded to move from that place to a different location and then the Prophet said to Bilal make the adhan. So Bilal made the adhan, رضي الله عنه. ثم صلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وأصحابه راتبة الفجر. ثم أمر بلالا فأقام الصلاة. فَصَلَ بهم صلاة الفجر كما كان يصليها في غير هذا اليوم. Then after Bilal رضي الله عنه made the adhan, they all prayed راتبة Fajr, the two sunnah for the fajr prayer. They all prayed that. When they prayed that, then the Prophet said to Bilal, now do the iqama So then he did the Iqama radiallahu anhu. Then the Prophet sallallahu prayed the Fajr prayer with his companions. So he did exactly as he would do normally. The Prophet sallallahu did as he would do normally. Bilal radiallahu anhu made the adhan. Everybody prayed their two ratiba, the two sunnah. Then after that, the Iqama was done and they prayed the two fard for Fajr. Despite the fact that the time had gone, this was outside now, the sun had risen. But the method in which it was done was exactly the same. The adhan was done, the ratiba was prayed, then after the Akama, then the fardos was prayed. So this indicates, the sheikh says, what are the benefits we take from this? What's the understanding? Firstly, it indicates to us that the Prophet sallallahu is indeed human like the rest of us are human. And this is a refutation of those individuals who have this extremism. With regards to the Prophet so they begin to say he was made out of light and he had all types of powers and he could see the unseen. They exaggerate and they raise the Prophet above his station and rank, just like the Prophet actually warned us against in the Hadith when he said, "لا تطروني كما أطرت عيسى بن مريم," don't raise me and take me to the station as the Christians did with Isa Don't do that. But some of the people they do. But this is an indication or a refutation of them. The Prophet on this occasion slept and the other companions slept because of their tiresome journey during the night. And they only slept during the last part of the night after traveling and traveling. And sleep overcame them all, including the Prophet. So this is a refutation of those individuals who claim that he had powers, almost as if they were uh, super uh, uh, extraordinary powers. And he had some type of knowledge of the unseen and control of the things, and that is exaggeration and a type of belief which is false. So, in this, uh, uh, on this occasion, they all slept. Also, then, what does the hadith indicate? The hadith also indicates that if a person falls asleep, or does not wake up for a particular prayer, then as soon as that person does wake up, as soon as the person wakes up, if he's missed a particular prayer, then as soon as he wakes up, he is supposed to pray that prayer straight away. That's what this hadith indicates. That if you have missed a prayer due to sleep, as soon as you wake up and you become aware that you've missed this prayer, then straight away you make the wudu and you pray it. That's what the hadith indicates because that's what they did. As soon as they woke up, then they moved to this other location away from that valley, the adhan was done and they performed their prayer. It wasn't delayed further beyond that point, it was done instantly. Uh, there is another narration which indicates this, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ in Sahih Muslim, "Man nasiya salatan أَوْ نَامَ عَنْهَا إِذَا ذَكَرَهَا وَلَا لَهَا إِلَّا If a person forgets a prayer, if a person forgets a prayer or sleeps through it, forgets a prayer or sleeps through it, then he is to pray it as soon as he remembers it. Meaning if he's forgotten it, as soon as he remembers, then he's to go and pray it. Or if he's gone to sleep, as soon as he wakes up and he remembers he's missed that prayer due to his sleep, then he's to go and pray it straight away. That's what the hadith says. And there is no other expiation There is no other expiation other than uh, uh, that. Other than him going and making up the prayer that he forgot about or that he slept through. That's what this hadith indicates. And it is something that the scholars, they speak about. And there are evidences to indicate that maybe it's not an obligation to have to pray straight away. But this is uh, what's better, no doubt. That a person, if he has slept through Fajr, for example then as soon as he wakes up, the first thing he should do is perform that Fajr prayer. Not to then consider that I'll do it at a later point, before dhuhr, there's many hours left yet. But when he wakes up and he remembers, then to pray that straight away. Or if he forgets, a person is doing something, he becomes engaged in some uh, affair, whatever it may be, causes him to forget the prayer. Then as soon as he remembers, then he has to pray it straight away. That's what these uh, narrations seem to indicate. وفي هذه القصة أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بادر بقضاء الفجر And this uh, story, this hadith tells you that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Was quick to pray that prayer straight away as they woke up The question then is When this prayer was prayed After sunrise, do we now say that this was قضاء That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the companions What they did on that occasion was قضاء they were making up the prayer that they had missed, or do we say that it was ada meaning that it was actual performance of the prayer? It was a correct, actual performance of the prayer, and it's not to be called qada, or is it to be called qada? What's the correct opinion on that? Shaykh says, Al-Vahir, Wallahu a'lam, he says, What seems to be apparent what seems to be apparent and Allah knows best, is that we don't say this was qada. We don't say that this was qada. We don't say this was making up the prayer. Why? لِأَنَّ وَقْتَ الصَّلَاةِ بِنِسْبَةِ وَالنَّاسِ حِينَ أَوْ حِينَ يَذْكُرُ Because when a person, he falls asleep, and he sleeps through fajr, And we're going to come to this section in more detail. What does it mean, sleeping through Fajr? We'll come to that in a moment. But if a person sleeps through Fajr, he doesn't end up waking up till 9 a.m. That's when he wakes up. He tried. He had his alarm on. He had everything prepared. It just so happened the night before he was on some journey or something or some heavy work. And that night sleep overcame him a lot. Or he was ill maybe the day before. And so that night he didn't have a comfortable sleep and it overcame him at Fajr time. Maybe some reason like along those lines. So he wakes up at 9 o'clock only. And he sleeps through the Fajr prayer. Without any intent, without any purposeful intent to sleep. Just it happened out of his sickness or tiredness the night before, whatever it was. So now when that person wakes up at 9 o'clock, he slept through the original time. He wakes up at 9 o'clock, the Shaykh says, that is now considered as his time to pray Fajr. That's now his time to pray Fajr. He slept through the original time, through no fault of his own. He tried, but he ended up sleeping through. So now when he wakes up, that is his time to pray. That is considered his time to pray now. So therefore the shaykh says, we don't say it's qada. Qada, we don't say it's qada. We say this is the actual performance of the prayer. This is when he is now supposed to pray. Just like if somebody forgets. Somebody becomes engaged in something. Maybe some injury occurs to him, some accident in the road, something along those lines. Uh, all types of events going on, and he forgets the prayer. Then he remembers later on, the time is gone, but the prayer, he remembers later, I haven't prayed yet such and such, Dhuhr for example, or asar or something. So then as soon as he remembers, that's now his time to pray that prayer. This is their time for him to now pray the prayer. That's when he's remembered. So that then the Shaykh says, isn't Qadah, that's the actual performance of the prayer accurately. But that is something the scholars, they speak about, uh, regarding is it to be called qada or not. Uh, then there is uh, also the scholars, they say, أَمَّا مَنْ تَعَمَّدَ If somebody purposely leaves a prayer, and doesn't pray it in its time, then he makes tawbah, afterwards he makes tawbah from that, he makes repentance from that. Then the majority of the scholars say, الْجُمْهُورَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ مَعَ التَّوْبَ يَقْضِي The majority of the scholars say if a person purposely misses a prayer, then afterwards makes tawbah and he repents and he understands his error, then he needs to make up the prayer he missed as well. The majority of the scholars, they say that he needs to make up the prayer as well. However, a group of the scholars, they said that if a person did that, then tawbah, repentance is sufficient. There's no such thing as qada afterwards now. He purposely left the prayer. He purposely let the time go and he didn't pray. So for him now, what qada? He purposely left the prayer. For him to make tawbah now, he makes his tawbah. As for saying you can go and pray still, then they said no. He purposely left the prayer, let the time go. So there is no qada for this individual now. Makes his tawbah and his affair is with Allah. That's what some of the scholars, they said. One of the evidences they used for that was The hadith that we just mentioned Man نَسِيَ Salatan أَوْ نَامَ عَنْهَا إِذَا ذكرها. That if a person is asleep Or he forgets Then he should pray as soon as he wakes up Or remembers That is speaking about specific situations Somebody who slept through for some reason Whatever that cause was Or somebody who forgot due to certain circumstances Okay when they remember they pray When they wake up they pray But as for somebody who purposely, he's not sleeping, he's not forgetful, purposely he doesn't pray it, that's not in the hadith. So the scholars, some of them, they said, no, the one who purposely leaves it, there's no qada for him. Him make his tawbah, and the rest is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala between him. Some of the scholars even went to the extent of saying, as you're aware, that a person who leaves the prayer purposely, somebody who abandons praying purposely, then that individual is outside of the fold of Islam. It's kufr. And you're aware of this issue regarding the prayer and the one who leaves the prayer purposely, that it, the scholars, some of them have declared that to be uh, disbelief. Due to several narrations, uh, for example, the statement of the Prophet One narration, فَقَدْ Ashrak But the Covenant, the barrier between us and them is the prayer. So whoever leaves the prayer, he has disbelieved. Or he has committed shirk. So that these types of narrations, the scholars, they use them to indicate that the one who abandons the prayer purposely, then he is a disbeliever. So the Shaykh says, it's a very severe affair. It's a very severe affair if this is known. الحديث خاص في الذي غلبه النوم. And this is the important point now. Everything we'll be mentioning about the one who sleeps through a prayer, the one who sleeps through a prayer, the Shaykh says that is regarding somebody who is genuinely excused, genuinely excused for his sleep. And he's not a person who regularly sleeps through prayers, he's not somebody who regularly sleeps through prayers. بَلْ Rather he is an individual who was, had the, the firm, uh, resolute intention in his heart, he was going to get up. He had that, inf- that firm intention in his heart, he was going to get up. But, circumstance overcame him that day, maybe he was ill the night before, the day before, tiredness was still in his body, maybe something like that overcame him or due to excessive physical work the day before, and a late night due to finishing the work late, some reason along those lines. Otherwise, he's known to be praying on time, waking up, not somebody who regularly sleeps through five, six times a week. And then he says, I'm going to implement these hadith and pray every day, Fajr at 9 a.m. Rather, this is speaking about somebody who prays in time. But it just so happens that on some occasion, due to whatever cause that he ends up sleeping through, that is the person that we are speaking about in these types of narrations. As for somebody who regularly prays the prayer after he wakes up, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, النهار, even if it's in the middle of the day, then this person, we're not going to say he is excused, he slept through. A person five, six times a week, he doesn't get up for fajr, he prays at 10 o'clock in the morning when he wakes up. Then the sheikh says, we're going to say to this person, you are somebody who intends to leave the Fajr prayer. You're doing it intentionally. Six days a week, five days a week, you can't get up. That's not somebody who's excused. The sheikh says, we're not talking about somebody who's of that nature. Because somebody of that nature, it's as if they've made it a habit for themselves. They don't give enough importance to the Fajr prayer. Six days, five days a week, maybe some weeks, all seven days. They don't get up for the Fajr and they pray afterwards. So the Shaykh says he has become purposeful almost in his uh, delay of the prayer. And the Shaykh says many people, they are afflicted with this, this trial. They are afflicted with this fitna, whereby they stay up late uh, and they, they talk and they relax and they engage in other affairs. And we already mentioned how the Prophet ﷺ used to dislike speech after Isha, unless it was speech of benefit, knowledge, etc., but otherwise the people when they gather and they sit and they talk and they go for meals to the middle of the night, all of these types of activities and then they are not able to wake up for fajr. And the Sheikh says this is a trial that the people have been overcome by. And he mentions specifically the television. How many of the people have been overcome by this fitna of the television? Staying up late at night watching TV, watching all types of programs and films and whatever it may be. Up until the early hours and then they're not able to wake up for the fajr prayer and the Sheikh says all of this is a, is a terrible fitna upon these people and it is a sin that they are falling into. And that is not the type of person that can use these narrations we've just mentioned as an excuse for themselves. I slept through. And the hadith says if you sleep through, just pray when you wake up. That is not for somebody who's doing it six days out of a week. That is for somebody who intends firmly to get up. He puts his alarm on, he does what is required, goes to sleep early. But maybe he was ill the last few days and that illness overcame him, for example, and he wasn't able to wake up that day. Maybe he was doing a lot of physical work the night before he didn't finish the 2 a.m., sleep overcame him. Something occurs, then this type of individual is excused. But as for a person who makes it his habit, then that is not the one who is excused uh, by these narrations, and he should not be using these types of narrations to justify missing Fajr six, seven days a week. أن هذا الحديث إنما هو في بيان عذر من غلبه النوم المرات So this hadith, it indicates that there is an excuse It's, a, it's an acceptable excuse for somebody who might be overcome, for, overcome by sleep on some occasions On some occasions Despite the fact that he firmly intended to get up and he tried Maybe on some occasions something occurs and he may fall asleep or sleep through the prayer So that person is excused and he prays the prayer when he wakes up. The other thing the Sheikh says is some people they say that if you miss a prayer for, for a genuine reason. They say okay every day you get up for fajr, one day something happens you don't get up. You don't get up till 9, 10 in the morning. Some people they have this belief that you can't pray then. They say no you don't pray now then. Leave this Fajr that you've missed this morning. It's a genuine excuse by the Hadith. You always get up, but you miss this one. They say, leave it till tomorrow morning Fajr. When the time comes in again, pray that Fajr, and then pray this one in the time. That's what some of them believe. And the Shaykh says that's incorrect. Rather, you pray as soon as you remember. You wake up at 10 o'clock on that one-off occasion, something happened, then pray straight away. The other thing, some of the people, they have this misunderstanding, We mentioned before the prayer times that are not allowed, the times when it is not allowed to pray. One of them was from the early morning one. So from Taloo al-Fajr up until the sun rises, except the Fajr prayer itself. But after the sun rises, that momentary time after the sun rises, we mentioned that was one of the times where it's prohibited to pray. So, maybe somebody oversleeps and they end up waking up just at that time when the sun is just coming up. So, then they might think to themselves, This is a prohibited time, I've got to wait. I've got to wait another half an hour when the sun has risen properly, then I'll pray my fajr. That is incorrect, also. That now, the person has fallen asleep through the prayer, he didn't wake up for whatever reason. Even if he wakes up in that prohibited time, he is to get up and make his wudu and pray his fajr. Because the hadith says, Whoever sleeps, or forgets, then let him pray when he remembers, when he wakes up. As soon as he wakes up, then he goes and prays. Not to say this is a prohibited time, I have to wait. So these are misconceptions, but the hadith rather it states that you pray as soon as you remember. All of this though, what's the point of it? Why is it mentioned in the chapter of the Avan? All this hadith about the Prophet and the companions, when they woke up late on that occasion due to traveling late at night after the battle of Khaybar then they got up and they made the Adhan and they prayed the Ratiba the Sunnah of Fajr then the, the Iqama then they prayed the far, uh, Fard of the Fajr what's all this hadith got to do with our chapter of the Adhan? <coughs> <coughs> so the Shaykh says وَالشَّاهِدْ <laughs> مِنَ فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ يُؤَذَّنُ لِلصَّلَاةِ وَلَوْ كَانَتْ When they woke up afterwards, the time had gone. But when they prayed, Bilal رضي anhu was commanded to make the Adhan. So this indicates that the Adhan for the Thad prayers, it is done even if it was outside of the time. Now this Fajr was outside of its actual original time. But the Adhan was still done before it was prayed. So it indicates that the adhan is still done for the first prayer, even if it was outside of the time. So if a person wanted to pray a prayer where the time had gone for that prayer, like this narration here, then the adhan is still done first, and then the prayer is prayed just like the Prophet ﷺ commanded Bilal to do the adhan, and then they prayed the prayer. Also the hadith indicates that if a person misses a prayer, he repeats that prayer and prays it as he missed it. Because the hadith says the Prophet ﷺ did what he normally used to do. Normally how he used to pray the Fajr prayer in its time, he prayed it that day ﷺ, even though they'd woken up outside of its time. So the prayer is prayed normal, meaning, normally... The daytime prayers are loud or quiet. The quiet prayers, Dhuhr and Asr. They're the quiet prayers. And the nighttime prayers are loud. Fajr. Normally, the nighttime prayers are loud and the daytime prayers are quiet. And the scholars, they mentioned maybe reasons or wisdoms behind that. Some of the scholars said, perhaps the wisdom behind that could be, perhaps, Ijtihad from the scholars. Listen, maybe the daytime prayers, Dhuhr and Asr have been made quiet, and the nighttime prayers have been made loud, Fajr, isha, Maghrib, because during the daytime, everybody is engaged in their business and in their various affairs, everybody's awake, everybody's alert, so the quiet prayer is suitable, with all of the uh, various affairs going on and everybody awake and alert, there's no problem, quiet prayer is suitable. But at night, when the work has finished and the day's chores are finished, Maghrib, isha, Fajr, then there's peace and serenity and quiet in the night. Then to make the people more alert, at that time, the recitation from the Imam is loud. A sharp prayer when the people are tired, to pray that quietly uh, may cause greater tiredness for some individuals and less concentration. At that time when there is serenity and peace and quiet, then it is better to alert the people to their worship by making it loud. And some of the scholars mentioned that is maybe the reason for it. But the point being that if a person misses one of the night prayers, for example, Fajr, then he wakes up into the daytime. It's not to be said now we're in the daytime, therefore I'll pray my Fajr quietly. Still, he prays it loud as he would have prayed it before. And similarly, if he miss- misses one of the daytime prayers and he goes into the night, then he prays it quietly as he would have done. That is what the Sheikh mentions from this narration. After that, وله عن جابر رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أتى المزدلفة فصلى بها المغرب والعشاء بأذان واحد وإقامتين. وله عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنه جمع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بين المغرب والعشاء بإقامة واحدة. وزاد أبو داود لكل صلاة وفي رواية له ولم ينادي في واحدة منهما. These narrations are now speaking about the Hajj of the Prophet Sallallahu And how he prayed When he was in Muzdalifah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The first narration says from Jabir Everybody knows the very lengthy hadith of Jabir Anhu About the Hajj of the Prophet Sallallahu In that hadith then He mentions that the Prophet ﷺ Came to Muzdalifah And he prayed Maghrib and Isha With one Adhan and two Iqamas. Because they were combined. Maghrib and Isha was combined in Muzdalifah. After Arafah, when you finish from Arafah, then after that you leave and head towards Muzdalifa. So then they left towards Muzdalifah and when they arrived at Muzdalifah, they combined Maghrib and Isha. Because now the time for Isha had come. They combined Maghrib and Isha at the time of Isha. But how? By making one Adhan at the beginning and a an Niqama, then when they finish the Maghrib, they did the Iqama and prayed Isha. There was no second Adhan done for the Isha. When they combined the Maghrib and Isha in Muzdalifah. They did the Adhan at the beginning, prayed the Maghrib, then after finishing did the Iqama only and prayed the Isha. That's what the Hadith says. Uh, in another narration of Ibn Umar, it says that the Prophet ﷺ combined between Maghrib and Isha with one Iqamah. With one Iqamah only as well. And in one narration of Abu Dawood, an iqama for both of them. There was an iqama for both of them. Uh, what do all of these narrations indicate then? All of these narrations indicate that when the Prophet wasallam went to Muzdalifa in the farewell hajj فإنه لما غربت الشمس غروبها وهو في عرفة دفع إلى المزدلفة. That when the sun was setting or it set, then after that the Prophet wasallam left from Arafah and started heading towards Muzdalifa. مِنْ عرفة وَاصَلَ الصير وَتَوَضَّأَ فِي الطَّرِيقِ So the Prophet ﷺ when he left from Arafah, he continued, and he made wudu on the way. He made wudu on the way. So it was said to him, الصلاة رسول الله, the prayer, Maghrib, Maghrib time. They said to the Prophet Maghrib prayer, whilst they were on their way from Arafah to Muzdalifah. So then, the Prophet said to them, as to amamak." The prayer is ahead of you; it's coming. We're going to pray it. وواصل السير صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى أن وصل إلى مزدلفة في وقت العشاء. And they continued walking until they finally arrived at Muzdalifa at the time of Isha. وقد كان أخر المغرب إلى, أن وصل إلى في And the Prophet had delayed the Maghrib prayer. They hadn't prayed yet. They'd left Arafah, Maghrib had come, Sun had set, they carried on until they arrived at Muzdalifa, and now the time for Isha had entered. فصلى المغرب Al-Ishah جمعا في Muzdalifa. So the Prophet prayed Maghrib and Isha combined in al in, Muzdalifa, in And he didn't pray on the way. لأن هذا خلاف uh, سنة المزدلفة. and that is in opposition to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, somebody who prays the Maghrib on the way or before arriving at Muzdalifah. Except in one circumstance, the sunnah here is now for the one making Hajj, that after you leave Arafah, you continue and go to Muzdalifah, and then at Muzdalifah, when the time of Isha has already entered now, you pray Maghrib and Isha together. Except in one instance, when would it be allowed for you to pray your Maghrib? To pray the prayer prior to that. If you're afraid, you're miss it. If you're afraid that the time is going to miss altogether. It's possible. It's occurred even in these recent years. Because of the crowding, etc. Sometimes people, they leave Arafah and they don't even get to Muzdalifa by Fajr time. It's possible. It occurs. We've seen it with our own eyes. People, they leave Arafah, they don't get to Muzdalifa, Fajr already comes. So if that's going to happen, then obviously wherever you are, you pray. Then you don't say, I have to wait to get to Muzdalifah to pray Maghrib and Asha. In that instance, if you're not going to make it, and often it's the, it's the transport systems. The ones who walk, they make it. But the buses and the transport systems, they get crowded in the roads, etc. And now it's changing, I believe, with the tram system and everything. So inshallah, this won't occur in future. But it did occur, and the buses and things used to be stuck. And so some people, they wouldn't even make it to Muzdalifah, and Fajr will already start. So for those individuals, of course, you pray. But otherwise, the sunnah is that you continue and go to Muzdalifa and then pray when you arrive there, Al-Maghrib, al Isha. Then there's an issue that Shaykh Saleh al mentions. And he gives his opinion on this issue and what should be done if this scenario arises. He says, what if a person leaves Arafah and gets to Muzdalifah before the time for Isha has started yet? Typically, if you walk, you're not going to get there until Isha has already started. It's going to take a while. But with this transport system, maybe you're the first bus in the queue, you get to Muzdalifah and the Isha hasn't started yet. So what do you do, the Shaykh says? Do you wait? Wait half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever it is, for the time for Isha to start so that you can then implement the Sunnah and pray Maghrib and Isha together? Or should you say, well we've arrived at Muzdalifah, Isha's is still another half an hour away yet. We're still in the time of Maghrib. Maybe we should pray Maghrib now then. We've already arrived. We're just sitting here doing nothing. Should we pray Maghrib now and then when Isha comes we'll pray Isha afterwards? Or shall we just not pray even though the time for Maghrib is here and we're here waiting Shall we not pray and just wait for Isha' time to start and then pray the Maghrib and Isha' together? Which of the two do you do? As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Allah gives his opinion on this issue, he says, Allahu a'lam, Allah knows best, but it would appear that, and this is the opinion of the Shaykh on the issue, that a person uh, should pray the Maghrib by itself. If you've arrived in Muzdalifah and there is still time left, Isha' hasn't even entered yet. You've got there early. Then the Shaykh says "Allahu a'lam, Allah knows best But pray the Maghrib first Then when the time for Isha comes afterwards Pray the Isha He says because The reason For combining Is no longer present The reason for combining The Shaykh says was Because the Prophet And the companions They were traveling along that pathway They were making their journey To get to Muzdalifah And they didn't want to have to cut that journey to stop and make the wudu and pray the maghrib, and then continue the journey. For the purpose of the continuation of that trip, from Arafah to Muzdalifah, that's one of the reasons why the Prophet ﷺ told them that they are to pray when they arrive. For the purpose of being able to continue that journey non-stop until they arrive. But now the Shaykh says, if you've already arrived, you've already arrived, there's no such thing as cutting the journey or anything, now you're there. And the time for Isha hasn't come yet. So in this case the shaykh says pray your maghrib then Now there's no need for you to Say that we need to delay the prayer to combine it So that we don't cut our journey short Or that we don't take time out of our journey We can continuously keep moving None of that exists anymore You've already arrived So the shaykh says in that instance Allahu alam but maybe you should pray your maghrib And then when the time for Isha comes afterwards Pray that afterwards Also there's a second scenario That's one You could pray a Maghrib, when the time for Isha comes, pray your Isha. A second scenario the Shaykh mentions is, that you could, if you arrive in Muzdalifa and the time for Isha hasn't started yet, you could pray Maghrib and Isha in the time of Maghrib. Combine them early, instead of combining them late. Initially, the Prophet ﷺ combined them late, at the time of Isha. But instead you combine them early at the time of Maghrib you have arrived and it's still the time of maghrib, isha hasn't started. So the second option the sheikh says is it's permissible if you were to combine them early at the time of maghrib still because you've arrived early. And that's mentioned uh, for the traveler, the traveler can either combine his prayers early or he can combine his prayers late. So the sheikh says in this instance you can combine them early if you wish and it will be permissible whichever is uh, whichever has the more ease in the affair. Uh, and this, the Shaykh says, would actually be resembling the act of the Prophet ﷺ, because he combined ﷺ. The Prophet صلى combined his prayers, so if you were to go there and you still arrived in the time of Maghribiyat, if you were to combine them, then that would be resembling the act of the Prophet ﷺ in combining the Maghrib and Isha in Muzdalifa. What's the third possibility? One possibility is that you just pray your Maghrib, then wait for Isha and pray Isha. Second possibility, pray your Maghrib and Isha in the time of Maghrib. Third possibility, like we just said, wait. You get there, you're still in the time of Maghrib, but you wait. Wait until Isha comes and then pray your Maghrib and Isha together. The Sheikh says, uh, he says that this, it's permissible. It's permissible you could wait until the time of Isha and then pray a maghrib and Isha together then. However, the Shaykh says that this is not something that is recommended. He says, in fact, this would be something which is, or which has within it, a type of opposition, in fact, to the Sunnah of the Prophet. If you were to get there early and then just wait, wait for half an hour, 40 minutes, whatever it is until Isha starts, so you can pray a Maghrib and Isha together. The Shaykh says if you were to do that, there would actually be a type of opposition to the Sunnah. What is that opposition? Waiting. Waiting, but a bit more than that. Waiting, why is that an opposition? Because the Prophet he, prayed the soon as he, arrived. he didn't wait. The Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, was, that as soon as they arrived, the first thing, Maghrib and Isha. As soon as they arrived in Muzdalifa, the first act was to pray Al-Maghrib to pray the two prayers. So now if a person gets there, the first act that he does should be that he prays. But if he doesn't and he waits half an hour, 40 minutes sitting, talking, whatever it might be, then in fact it's actually opposing the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, because his first act, when he arrived in Muzdalifah was to pray. So the Sheikh says that would be a type of opposition in fact, if you were to do that. So he says, it's better that you don't. Sheikh al-Fawzan, hafizahullah says, it's better that you don't wait. If you arrive, then do one of the other two that were mentioned. Pray the Maghrib, then wait for the Isha. Or pray the Maghrib and Isha early at the time of Maghrib. And that is resembling the act of the Prophet ﷺ whereby he prayed the, uh, the Maghrib and Isha, but late at the time of Isha. But the point of it all, we're in the chapter of the Adhan. It says, بِأَذَانٍ wa only one Adhan was made And two Iqamas were made One Adhan for both Maghrib and Isha together And then an Iqama each One for Maghrib, one for Isha. That's how it was done هذا هو محل الشاهد للمصنف من سياق هذا الحديث This is the point of the hadith فإن الذي يجمع بين الصلاةين جمع تقديم أو جمع تأخير فإنه يؤذن أذانا واحدا لهما جميعا لكنهم يقيم لكل صلاة So if a person is praying two prayers together Combining them whether it's at the early time, for example, Dhuhr and Asr at the time of Dhuhr, or at the later time, Dhuhr and Asr at the time of Asr. If a person is combining two prayers, then the Adhan is made once at the beginning, and then an Iqamah for each one. Meaning there is no two Adhans. If you're combining Asr, Dhuhr and Asr for example, you make one Adhan. Then you make the Iqamah, and you pray Dhuhr. Then after that you make the Iqamah, and you pray Asr. You don't make the Adhan and then Iqamah and then pray Dhuhr and then Adhan and then Iqamah and then pray Asr. And then say, that's how I combined. Rather, the narration indicates you make one Adhan at the beginning and then an Iqamah for each of the two prayers. This is the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu However, in some narrations, it is mentioned that the Prophet Sallallahu didn't actually even make Adhan. That he only did Iqamah. He didn't even make the adhan, it's mentioned in some narrations. He only made iqamah when he prayed those prayers. And in some narrations, it's even mentioned that he didn't do any adhan or any iqamah. Does this therefore mean that this hadith about the Prophet ﷺ going to Muzdalifah and praying Maghrib and Isha is a hadith that's weak? Because one of the types of weaknesses in hadith is al-ittirabh. Ittiraab meaning that there's various narrations all clashing with each other. When you have a hadith and you have various narrations, versions of the same hadith, but all these various versions of the same hadith are clashing with each other. So now it's the same hadith. The Prophet wasallam only did that one muzdalifah, that one night. It can't be different times. So it was the same event. However, one hadith says the Prophet wasallam made two adhans, one iqamah. Uh, sorry, two uh, iqamahs, one adhan. One hadith says there was no adhan. One hadith says there was no adhan, no iqamah. So is this a clash in the narrations, and therefore we say that these uh, hadith about the prayer in Muzdalifah are weak? Rather, what can be said, the sheikh says is, uh... Huh? Um, that's a principle, you're right. The affirmation uh, takes precedence. That's a principle. Uh, or rather, the other way. Which way? The affirmation is some, um, uh, during the negation. Hmm. These, these are some of the principles that are mentioned. But here, though, the Sheikh explains it different Because some of these narrations are not uh, as strong as others. He says, Al Musannif Rahimahullah <laughs> Rajaha Riwayat Jabir. Uh, oh, uh رحمه الله تعالى uh, تبين, تبين رحمه الله أن رواية جابر هي أرجح The author Al Hafiz Ibn Hajr considers the narration of Jabir to be the stronger, the correct position. That's why he mentioned that narration because the narration of Jabir رضي الله عنه it's relating to the characteristic or the description. Of the whole of the hajj of the Prophet sallam So that narration is given precedence over the other narrations And that's why uh, they base it upon that That it is one adhan and two iqamas One adhan and two iqamas So what's the uh, benefits from this narration then the shaykh says Firstly the legislation to be able to combine the two prayers in muzdalifah That's from the sunnah It's legislated to combine al-maghrib and hasha in muzdalifah then to go to sleep after that until sunrise or until the Fajr prayer. Uh, then to pray the Fajr in the beginning time of its uh, time. The Fajr should be prayed at the beginning. And then he makes supplication to Allah, dua, etc. until after Fajr. And then after that they go to Mina. Uh, also, في الحديث دليل على أن أول عمل يبدأ, به يبدأ بالحاج إذا وصل إلى and Yabda يبدأ بالصلاة. The first thing that a person should do when he goes to Muzdarifa is pray the Maghrib and Aisha. Then after that, a person can deal with these other affairs and then go to sleep. ليستريحة, then he goes to sleep to uh, rest himself from the tiredness of the day so that he can uh, gain some strength for the following day and the activities that require to be done, the worships that require to be done. Uh, so he prays then in the morning at the beginning time Uh, And then he makes himself free To make some dua, supplication Until the sun rises And then you go to uh, Mina However Some people are allowed to leave early Some people are allowed to leave early On the night of Muzdalifah On that night And the other people who are weak Or the people who have other types of excuses Reasonings That prevent them from being able to stay all night that maybe they wouldn't be able to cope in the morning with the crowds, etc. So for some people who are weak and have excuses, then they are able to leave uh, prior to that, prior to the Fajr prayer on that night. But that's regarding the issues of Hajj, which inshallah at some point will come to also. Also then the Shaykh says, uh, أثالثى, أثالثى, that min ajliha This is the reason why the author mentioned this narration أن الذي يجمع بين يقتصر على أذان واحد A person who combines between two prayers, he makes one adhan and two iqamas, just like the Prophet ﷺ did. That's the ruling regarding if a person combines between the two prayers. Yeah. We'll okay. do uh, two, uh, one, one more inshallah, one or two more then. عن ابن عمر وعائشة رضي الله عنهما قالا قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن بلالا يؤذن بليل فكلوا واشربوا حتى ينادي ابن أم, مكتوم. Uh, ابن أم مكتوم وكان رجلا أعمى لا ينادي حتى يقال له أصبحت أصبحت متفق عليه وفي آخره إدراج وعن ابن عمر رضي الله عنه أن بلالا أذن قبل الفجر فأمره النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أن يرجع فينادي ألا إن العبد نام رواه أبو داود وضعفه <تصفيق> These two narrations are about the Fajr prayer and about the Adhan linked to the Fajr prayer. We know that the Adhan for Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha is one Adhan, one Adhan. But the Fajr, there are two Adhans. So this is the issue regarding the two adhans of Fajr. So hadith of Ibn Umar and Aisha, it indicates that Bilal, عنه, he used to make the adhan prior to the entering of the time. So eat and drink, the Prophet says, until Ibn Umm Maktoum makes the adhan. Because he used to make it at the time of the Fajr beginning. So there were two adhans, and there were two mu'adhins. There was Bilal ibn Abi Rabah, and there was um, uh, uh, Ibn Umm Maktum, two mu'adhins. Bilal anhu used to make the adhan before the time for fajr entered. Whereas Ibn Umm Maktum used to make the adhan at the time where the fajr has now entered. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said in this hadith, that when uh, Bilal makes the adhan, فَكُلُوا وَشِرَبُوا Continue to eat and drink for the ones who are fasting. You can continue up until Ibn Umm Maktoum makes the Adhan. Then stop because that is the time for Fajr entering. Because the hadith itself says, كان رجلا um, uh, Ibn Umm Maktoum was a blind one. He was blind رضي He never used to therefore be able to make the Adhan until somebody said to him, Asbahta, asbahta. Meaning that's it, Fajr has arisen, Fajr has started. When they would see that lightness spreading across the horizon. The Fajr has entered, they would say to him, Asbahta, 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 meaning the Fajr, it's come, the morning is starting. So then he would go and make the adhan. So that would be at the time when the uh, Fajr has actually entered, whereas Bilal radiallahu anhu used to make an adhan prior to that. So the hadith indicates that there were two adhans for the Fajr prayer. So this hadith indicates. That the Prophet had two muathins, one of them was Bilal ibn Rabah, and the other one was Ibn Umm Maktum. كلاهما كان من المهاجرين رضي الله تعالى عنهما. Both of them were from the Muhajirin, Bilal ibn Rabah and Ibn Umm Maktum. Both of them were from the Muhajirin. So as for the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, إن بلال يؤذن بليل that Bilal he makes the adhan at night prior to Fajr. The meaning of it is that he makes the Adhan before the time of Fajr actually enters. That's why it is still permissible for people to eat and drink for the ones who want to fast. That's like the ayah in the Quran, al al aswad, That eat and drink until the whiteness of the day becomes apparent to you from the darkness of the night of Fajr. The black string and the white string. Meaning, continue to eat and drink until the actual Fajr appears. Not when uh, Bilal used to make the adhan radiallahu anhu, which was prior to that. Um, so there were two mu'adhins. How much time gap was there before between the first adhan of Bilal radiallahu anhu and the second adhan, which was the actual time of Fajr now starting, of Ibn Umm Maktum? How much time gap was there between the two? The Sheikh says the time gap was short. It was a short time gap. Not to be imagined that there's an hour or two hours or three hours between them. There was a short time gap between the initial Adhan and the actual Adhan for Fajr. And that's because it's mentioned in one hadith, لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا أَن يَنزِلَ هَذَا There was hardly a gap between the two of them to the extent it was almost as if Bilal comes down and Ibn Umm Maktoum gets up. There was barely any gap. Bilal would finish, and then after that, after a short time, Ibn Umm Maktoum would come and do the Adhan for the actual Fajr. So it's not to be understood that the first Adhan is done hours before the actual Fajr. It's done close by. Close by to the actual time, but prior to it. Uh, So then what does this hadith indicate? Firstly, the benefits of it are, one of them, that it is permissible to have two Mu'adhins for the same masjid. It's permissible to have two official mu'advins for the same masjid as the Prophet ﷺ had two mu'advins for the same masjid. Bilal and Ibn Maktoum radiyallahu anhumah. Both of them making the adhan. The second issue, uh, في الحديث دليل على جواز الاذان قبل طلوع الفجر. The hadith indicates the permissibility of making the initial adhan, the early adhan before the fajr time starts. Tells us about the permissibility of doing that act Because normally We've already learned from the very beginning Of the chapter of the prayer uh, The chapter of the Adhan That the meaning of Adhan is what It is an announcement to indicate the The start of the time That was the definition It is an announcement to indicate the beginning of the time But the Adhan of Bilal Is an announcement But it is not the beginning of the time But here then the evidence clearly proves that that is something that is permissible. That Adhan, it's not telling you about the beginning of the time for Fajr, but it is a permissible act. That is something that is permissible and correct because of this narration. But that is specific to Fajr. It is specific to Fajr. As for the other prayers, then it can't be done. You can't make an Adhan before the time for Dhuhr, and then make one at the time of Dhuhr. Make one before the time of Asr, then one at the time of Asr. That isn't permissible for the other prayers, but uh, for the Fajr prayer, then it's permissible. What's the wisdom behind that? Uh, uh, So it's... uh, ah, So people at that time, it's the night. It's the night, people will be sleeping. So to have that Adhan earlier than the actual time beginning, gives people more of an opportunity to wake themselves up and to start getting prepared. Whereas if the only Adhan you had, was the one telling you of the start time, and we've already said that it's the Sunnah to pray early, then maybe there might only be 15 minutes or 20 minutes, which is normally what happens between the Adhan and the Fajr prayer. Many people would barely just be getting up and getting ready in that time. So to give people more of an opportunity, that's one of the wisdoms, have the earlier adhan too, to slowly start waking the people up earlier and then the actual adhan for the time comes and then by then eventually they are ready for the prayer for the jama'ah. That's one thing that is mentioned. Also for the people who wish to uh, wake up for the suhoor, then that is the time indicating that this is permissible to eat and drink yet after the first adhan. Also for the people who are generally, more than that, More generally, people are praying the night prayer, people who are praying the night prayer, then to, uh, to inform them that the time is ending now, to inform them the time is close to ending now, so that they can return to their homes, prepare etc. for the fajr, or they can return to their homes and eat or drink for the fast. So this uh, has benefits, this earlier adhan at the time of fajr. And there's a narration in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih muslim نَائِمَكُمْ وَيَرْجِعَ قَائِمُكُمْ So that the sleeping one can be woken up with the earlier Adhan to give him more opportunity, make him alert for the Fajr. And so that the one who is praying the night prayer can then return. He hears the first Adhan, he knows almost Fajr time now. The second Adhan will come very shortly afterwards. So he can return now from his night prayer, prepare himself, eat something if he wants to fast, and then come back. This is what the narration says. Uh, pray at home or pray in the masjid But the, the return from the prayer Meaning to stop the prayer To stop the prayer It's possible somebody may pray in the masjid It's possible even though it's better to pray at home The, the night prayer It's one of the supererogatory prayers So there will be more reward to pray it at home But uh, Basically the meaning of the hadith That the one praying the night prayer Then knows the time is coming to an end now And to prepare himself for fajr now If he's going to fast Go, stop the prayer And go and eat something for the suhoor now so to stop that and then to prepare himself for the fajr coming, uh, then the sheikh says, "عَرَفْنَا مِنَ الرِّوَايَةِ إِلَّا أَنْ يَنْزِلَ هَذَا waqtun هَذَا." So this indicates the sheikh says the narration where he says that Bilal barely used to come down and uh, Ibn Umm Maktum would already uh, be starting to get up, meaning there was hardly much time, a small time between the early adhan and the actual adhan, a small time between them. Uh, not as uh, some of the people may say That it should be a lengthy time An hour, two hours, three hours That is not the case Even though it's mentioned in some of the books And uh, some of the Hanabila, They used to say That the first Adhan can be done From the middle of the night onwards anytime But the reality is the Sheik says The purpose of it is These benefits that we have mentioned And those benefits are only actualized Just prior to actual Fajr time for the one wishing to stop his night prayer now, or the one wishing to eat something for the suhoor, or the one wishing to try to get up now. So, there are the purposes of it. There is something else that we can say about two adhans. When else? Jum'ah. Jum'a. So there's the issue about the Jum'ah. Sheikh says, وَمِثْلُهُ الْأَذَانِ salat al الْجُمْعَةِ just like this is the first adhan For the Jum'ah prayer فَإِنَّهُ فِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ لَمَّا كَثُرَ النَّاسِ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ فِي At the time of Uthman رضي الله When the people became many The population grew in Medina at that time He decided or he viewed He considered That having an earlier adhan To the actual adhan of Jum'ah Would be something that would alert the people and prepare them to the time of Jum'ah now coming because of their uh, increase in population business, trade, shops, etc. things going on then he viewed it would be suitable for them to prepare themselves and to get ready to have an earlier Adhan also and so that they don't continue in buying and selling and they start to prepare themselves rather than having the actual Adhan which would then only give them a small amount of time to get ready for the Jum'ah if anything so then, this was done as a, a judgment based upon the Fajr issue. It was a judgment based upon the Fajr issue. The Fajr has the two adhans. The first one because of those benefits. Similar benefits are found on the day of Jum'ah. So based upon that, that judgment was made, and this adhan was done. Wahuwa min al Khalifa al Rashid Uthman anhu, and that is the act of Uthman radhiyallahu anhu. And the Prophet ﷺ said, sunnati بسنة khulafa الخلفاء Rashidin." Upon you is to take my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa. From them, Uthman رضي الله عنه. وفي هذا رد على من زعم أن الأذان الأول في يوم الجمعة And this is an, a, a refutation, the Shaykh says, upon those who claim that the first adhan is an innovation. The Shaykh says, this is a refutation of those who claim that the first adhan is an innovation Because the act of one of the khulafاء rashidin cannot be termed as an innovation We're not going to say that Uthman radiallahu anhu Innovated He brought about a bid'ah into the religion Wa innamahu Rather it is from the sunnah From Uthman The third khalifa radiallahu anhu On top of that The shaykh says When Uthman radiallahu anhu Did this All of the other companions Who were alive at the time It's not narrated at all that there was any rejection. It's not narrated at all that any of the other companions rejected this act from Uthman. They refuted this act from Uthman. It's not narrated, so therefore, that indicates that this issue was something accepted to do this in that manner. Uh, Also from the benefits of the hadith, like we already mentioned, that when the first adhan is heard, the initial adhan, that doesn't mean you have to stop eating and drinking. You can continue eating and drinking because that isn't the time for actual Fajr. That only occurs when the second avan comes about. Um, the Shaykh says there's a final benefit that it indicates a person can rely upon the Mu'adzin uh, in his fasting. So if a person is in an area where there's a muadhin that can be heard, and that muadhin is known to make the adhan at the correct times, then it's okay for a person to wait for the adhan, and when he hears it, stops eating and drinking. He relies upon the mu'advin rather than checking for the fajr himself outside, or anything of that nature. So the Shaykh says that is a benefit to be taken from the hadith too, that you can rely upon the muadhin. Uh, the final narration then, just to conclude, the hadith of Ibn Umar رضي الله that bilal radiyallahu anhu made the earlier adhan and so the prophet sallam told him when he found out about it go back and announce to the people you were tired and you made it by accident this hadith seems to indicate what that the first adhan before fajr is not permissible and not from the sunnah that's what it seems to indicate the prophet said to bilal return And go back and say that indeed sleep had overcome you And you weren't aware that the Fajr hadn't come in yet Which would indicate that this was a mistake from Bilal Uh, How do we answer to that then? How do we answer to this narration which seems to indicate That the Prophet said to Bilal When he found out that he'd made the event Before the time had started for Fajr Go back and tell the people it was sleep that overcame you And you were unaware that Fajr hadn't started yet which therefore indicates that this was a rejection of that act. So how do we combine between this narration and the previous one? Perhaps the people did not realise at that time that there are two hadans and if they heard the they might jump <coughs> to the conclusion that Salah started. The people mm. did not know. So if they didn't know, how are they going to know? So that Bilal they announces to them. Oh no, but but the Prophet is telling Bilal to announce to the people that he made a mistake. Well perhaps then maybe later on They can be told that There's going to be two adhans from now on That's okay but It doesn't quite make sense Because how can you say then If this is sharia This is legislation This is revelation Why would Bilal be go uh, be, uh, Why would Bilal Radiallahu anhu be told To go and tell the people I made a mistake Then the people think Oh okay definitely There's no first adhan It was a mistake by Bilal He just came and told us It was a mistake Then it would be even more difficult For them to understand afterwards When the adhan If they were going to try to uh, Explain to them it doesn't, it doesn't work here, not quite. How else could you combine between the narrations? One apparently indicating that it's not correct to do the first adhan, the second one indicating, or the first one that we mentioned, clearly indicating that it, it is permissible. Which other ways could you combine between them? This is one of the benefits of studying these books of fiqh, or, or these books of hadith which speak about fiqh. You go through and you learn different principles. Different principles of fiqh, usul al fiqh, how to combine between narrations, how to understand evidences. So, how, what is another possible way, a possible way to be able to combine between the narrations? Who can remember some principles, even if it's not the one here, but to remember some principles that could possibly be the answer? How could you combine between these two narrations? Nasih al Mansukh. Nasih al Mansukh, Ah, possible, that's it, that's one of them. It could be, it could be that originally, originally it wasn't allowed, it wasn't revelation, and it was a mistake by Bilal to do it. Maybe he did it originally, thinking that this was something uh, from the sunnah, but it wasn't. At that time it wasn't. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, go tell them it's a mistake. But then afterwards, the revelation did come down that it is. So then it was allowed. Which is almost what he said, but not exactly. So initially, maybe it wasn't, it wasn't the case. Maybe initially there wasn't a first Adhan. There just wasn't a first Adhan. So initially, maybe that second narration is indicating a time when there was no first Adhan. That's why Bilal was told to go and explain that this was not correct. Or this this was due to sleep overcoming me. And I hadn't realized the fajr hadn't started. But then the second narration indicating when it was allowed. That's possible. That's possible. In this instance, there isn't a problem really. Because the second narration, and bear this in mind now, the second narration where the Prophet ﷺ said to Bilal, go and tell them that you were sleepy and you didn't realize Fajr had been started yet, is a weak narration. That one is weak anyway. It's a weak hadith. So the authentic hadith we have is the one where Bilal Anhu makes the first adhan and Ibn Umm Maktum makes the second adhan. That's the authentic narration, that's the permissible act. As for the second one, then it's a weak narration. It's a weak narration. So we leave it at that, inshallah. uh, And we'll start next time. uh, Regarding what a person does when you hear the adhan, about repeating the words of the adhan, etc. Those types of uh, acts from the sunnah relating to the adhan, inshallah, we'll begin with in two weeks' time. Inshallah ta'ala. Between uh, no, Allah, I don't know the exact time okay. But the hadith says that uh, Bilal would be coming down And Ibn Maktoum would just go, come up It's hardly, just a small time the, the figures, Allah I don't know the figure You put onto it, but a small time Certainly not, not two hours or three hours Or something long, a short time Whatever that short time For example, relates to No, that's what I'm saying I, I, I don't know about a figure I don't know a figure what, what, what figure it would be exactly uh, if it's uh, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 5 minutes or 10 minutes but short, short, everybody understands short from long, an hour I think everybody would understand that's long but something short just to, give, uh, just to fulfill the purposes fulfill the purpose of giving everybody a little bit extra time to wake up give everybody enough time to go and eat give everybody enough time to stop their uh, night prayer and to prepare themselves now for Fajr that doesn't take long doesn't take very long to do that, to have food it doesn't take long to uh, prepare yourself and wake up in the morning, it doesn't take that long. if a say yeah uh, if a person has missed a prayer and then the next prayer has come in for example somebody uh, they've missed a duhr, for example like in, in these days now the 12:30 or something and Asr starts maybe, say 2 o'clock at the latest, half past 1, 2 o'clock. Say he gets to 2.30, he's been asleep or something. Then he wakes up and he hasn't prayed Dhuhr yet. And Asr is in the time of Asr now, so how does he do it? Does he pray Asr first now because that's the time he's in, and then make up the Dhuhr afterwards, or pray the Dhuhr first, then the Asr? Uh, Sheikh Bin Baz and some of the scholars as well, they say, keep the order of the prayers. They say, keep the order of the prayers. So if somebody woke up now, for example at 2.30 in the afternoon they haven't prayed Dhuhr yet then you should make your wudu pray Dhuhr and then pray Asr keep the order of the prayer that's what the scholars they say try to keep the order of the prayer the, 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 in, the, in the same order as, as they come and if you come to the masjid and they pray Asr you, 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 you have the intention to pray Dhuhr correct so if you come to the masjid imagine for example now you haven't prayed Dhuhr you've been out and about something's been happening some incidents occurred you, you haven't got a chance to pray Dhuhr you come to the masjid but you're too late The iqamah is done and they're about to start Asr. The iqamah has been done, they're about to start Asr. You've just walked in. You haven't prayed Dhuhr yet. So now you join the prayer with the jama'ah, but your intention is Dhuhr. You make the intention of Dhuhr and the imam is praying Asr and everybody else is praying Asr. Then after they finish, get up and pray your uh, Asr by yourself. If, for example, you come in at Isha time or Maghrib time, you come in at Maghrib time, something's happened, you haven't prayed Asr yet. Same thing, you can do the same thing. Scholars say you can still do the same thing. Join with them and uh, with your intention of Asr. Join with them with your intention of Asr. When they finish after three raka'at, you get up and pray your fourth. Because Asr is four raka'at. And then get up and pray your maghrib. Same with Isha. You haven't prayed maghrib yet. You come to the masjid. They already done the iqamah for Isha. So join with them with the intention of maghrib. They're praying Isha. Here though, the scholars, they mentioned uh, different ways to do it. Because obviously the imam is going to be praying four raka'at. Your intention is three raka'at maghrib. So they say the first two are normal, no problem. The third one, normal, no problem. But when you get to the end of the third one, you do your sajda, uh, the two prostrations, then the imam's going to get up now to pray his fourth one. Some of the scholars say you can stay sitting down, stay sitting down. When the imam gets up to pray his fourth, you stay sitting down and finish your prayer. Read the tashahud and everything and finish your prayer and give the salaam. Yours is maghrib. So after three, you finish and give the salam, then get up and join in with the Imam again. If the Imam is still in the, the recitation or in the ruku' then get up and join the Imam and pray the isha. Start beginning your isha. You haven't prayed your isha yet? So after you finish the third raka'ah, give salam, get up and start praying your isha. So you'll catch one raka'ah of isha with the Imam as well, and then three more by yourself afterwards. Or they say after the third one, you stay sitting, obviously, you have to, it's maghrib only three raka'ahs. Stay sitting. Uh, do your tashahud, everything, but wait, don't give the salam. Wait for the imam to go, do his uh, fourth raka'ah, do his uh, bowing, ruku', everything down, sujood, then they sit down. So now you're equal to everyone. Everybody else is sitting down in their fourth raka'ah, whilst you've been waiting there since your third one. Then when the imam gives salam, give salam together with everyone. Some of the scholars say, do it that way to follow the imam, to keep uh, in line with the imam, and not to go outside of what the imam is doing. Uh, I think he says do you have to pray in in jama'ah do you have to pray in jama'ah for the men it's obligatory to come Uh, 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 it's obligatory that's what the scholars they say you should pray in the masjid the men should come and pray in the masjid in congregation and lots of the scholars they hold that opinion that it is obligatory for you to have to do that because of those narrations about the Prophet saying that I would burn the houses of the ones who don't etc the men they should pray in the congregation that's well known, all of the scholars read their fatwa. what they say about this issue of the prayer for the men they should come to the congregation and pray, and some of the scholars are very severe about it, very severe for the one who doesn't pray in the congregation about his, uh, even to the extent about his authenticity of his prayer or if he gets any reward for his prayer by himself at home, so for the men no doubt they have to come and pray in the, in the masajid in the congregation, especially here if you have a salafi masjid there's no excuse uh, as for the women, then the narrations are concerning them that they pray at home. The women pray at home. If there's a congregation, if there are several of them, then pray in congregation. If not, then the woman prays by herself at home. Uh, الله الله Don't prevent the women from going to the mosques, but the houses are better for them. So for the women, it's better to pray at home. If there's a congregation possible, then okay. If not, then they pray by themselves and for the men they come to the masjid and pray in the congregation. How about the distance that one lives from the masjid for a car. No, you're right. If somebody lives too far from the masjid, it's difficult, they can't make it, then okay, it's an excuse. If they're too much of a distance from the masjid, maybe kilometers or miles away, no car, nothing, no transport, no way to make it and it's impossible to walk those distances, then okay, well, uh, that's an excuse then. If you don't have any any that's possible to pray in because of their beliefs that they're upon. Mina and Muzdalifa, they're two places When you go to make Hajj When you go to do Hajj You know about Makkah and you know about the Kaaba. You know about those places Then close by there are other places Arafah and Mina and Muzdalifa, They're names of places And you have to go to these places when you do Hajj They're the different places you have to go To do the acts or the worship of Hajj That's how Hajj is done You have to go to these various places And do these types of different worship at those places so Mira and Muzdalifah are these places near Makkah where you go to. Uh, Ibn Umm Maktoum, if he was blind, then how did he know when the time for Adhan is? Then like we said, the people, they would tell him. Somebody would come and tell him that the time has started. It's Fajr time. So when they would come and tell him, he would go make the Adhan. And how can you have two Mu'adhins? That's okay, there's no problem. The Prophet ﷺ, he had two Mu'adhins. The Prophet ﷺ had the two Mu'adhins in the same masjid. So that's a proof that it's allowed because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi did it. Ah, these two adhans was about uh, the Fajr. Remember, we're talking about now the two adhans for Fajr, one early one and one on time. So Bilal he used to make the early one, and Ibn Umm Maktum used to make the one on time, Rabbil No, they, no, no, they, then just pray dhuhr, that's it dhuhr. If you've uh, forgotten Duhur for whatever reason And you've prayed asr Then afterwards you remember So now that's it, just pray your dhuhr. We're not going to say you have to keep the order So pray your dhuhr and pray your asr again Asr has been prayed You've done the fard of asr, that's done So now just the dhuhr So, you wake up and there's still half an hour left before Asr time starts? No, Asr time in the masjid then. Uh, Asr time started, but there's Jamaat in the masjid. Asr time so was started, When uh-huh. time's finished, you've slept, uh-huh. still half an hour until start the masjid for Asr. So, so what's better, to go and join them? Do, do you wake
1: up, pray your love straight away at home,
0: uh-huh. or do you wait and go and pray both together in the masjid? Which one's better? Why, what would be the benefit of waiting and going to the masjid and praying there? But why can't you do that anyway? If you get up and pray your dhuhr, then go and pray asr in the masjid. You're only going to pray one congregation in the masjid. If you've got up uh, and there's half an hour left, you could wait and go and join them with your intention of dhuhr. Then you're going to pray asr by yourself. And that's what you should do then in that case. Pray the dhuhr straight away and go pray the asr with the congregation. To pray yeah, uh, because that's not going to be in congregation anyway. Because one of the two, you're going to pray by yourself. If you go to the uh, masjid and pray the dhuhr well, say praying asad, then afterwards you're going to get up and pray asr by yourself. But the hadith says you should pray straight away so pray the dhuhr straight away then go to the asr and, uh, and join that congregation. Hmm. And the yeah. No you can pray two as a traveler You're still a traveler You're still a traveler, still a traveler So you can pray two hmm. InshaAllah if we get through it We'll come to the Kitab of Hajj As well InshaAllah I don't know when that's going to be but So we'll conclude there We'll on in two weeks InshaAllah